message. Um, you may want to have some caffeine to stay awake, but um, what I want to do is I want to just give you a little bit of background to Philemon um, and what's going on in this letter that Paul wrote. Again, it's a small uh, letter. You can turn there uh, if you'd like. If you're using the, the Bible there in, in the chairs, it's page 1195. It's only 25 verses. I was talking to Dan before the service, and he's like, wow, I, I made sure I jumped on it last Sunday. When you said to read Philemon, I jumped on it because I wanted to make sure I get through all of it by next Sunday. And I'm like, what? And he's, oh, I thought you said it was 25 pages. I said, no, 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 it's 25 verses. So he's, oh, when he realized that, he was pretty excited. Um, I could tell just by his face. But that's the thing. We need to be reading God's Word. So, so it's a little bit of background. Uh, those, those of you who come on Thursday nights and had been through our uh, study in Colossians, you would know some of this information. I should maybe have you up here talking about it. But um, Paul had never visited the city of Colossae. That's where Philemon was from. The way the church in, in uh, Colossae started was that at some point, Paul met a guy named Epaphras. And so if you're thinking about a good name for a kid down the road, you young Epaphras, I mean, that's a, uh, really good. Um, anyways, so he meets Epaphras. Epaphras comes to Christ. He disciples him. And Epaphras goes back to Colossae to start the church. So in other words, the way that would look is, I sit down with one of you, and I talk to you. You're not a Christian at that point. I talk to you. You accept Christ, and then you go back to your hometown, and you start a church. That's what's happening. Okay? So, he does that. Also, and Philemon is part of the church. He's a, he's a leader in the church. The other thing is, Paul, at some point, unbeknownst to us, meets Philemon. People are saying, the, the guys who study this all out, they're saying probably in Ephesus. So Paul's in Ephesus, helping the church get started. Philemon's there on business. Philemon's a businessman, and evidently pretty well-to-do, and that kind of thing. So he's there. He meets Paul, and he comes to Christ. Are you getting something here with Paul? He's really good at sharing the gospel in such a way that people come to Christ. So Philemon then comes to Christ. This is before Paul gets arrested and put under house arrest. Sometime later, Philemon has a slave. His name is Onesimus. Another great name, by the way, if you're thinking about naming kids. Um, and Onesimus, you can name it that. You'd be like, is it a boy or girl? Whatever. It works great in our society today. Anyways, um, I digress. Anyways, um, so Onesimus, he runs away from Philemon, evidently steals some money on the way, but also, him leaving is kind of stealing because he's a slave, you know. So, um, so he leaves. He gets to Rome. Somehow meets up with Paul. We, again, we don't know how he might have known about Paul from Philemon. Not sure. But Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He's under house arrest because he's been sharing the gospel. So he's going around telling people about how God's offering to forgive them of their sins and restore their relationship with him and, um, and, and take them to heaven one day. And the, the Roman people are not happy about this. I mean, if you've read through Acts, if you've done any of that, you know that they're not happy about this. It's costing them money. People are coming to Christ and not going to the temples anymore and not doing the things that they used to do. Uh, therefore, they're not getting their money. And so Paul is under house arrest, chained to um, a Roman guard. 
So Onesimus comes to Christ, and he knows, because Paul's telling him, hey, you need to ask Philemon's forgiveness for running away and stealing, and you need to restore that relationship with Philemon. Now, what Paul does, pretty tricky, he writes this letter to Philemon, and he sends it back to Colossae with Onesimus. And then he says, read this to the church. So everybody in the church is going to be hearing about this issue that's going on between Philemon. They obviously already know about it. But here's the point. At its core, Christianity is all about restoring relationships. If you want to know what Christianity is, if you want to give a good definition to people in your life who are wondering what's Christianity all about, biblical Christianity, I have to add that I suppose, is all about restoring relationships. First, our relationship with God, and then our relationships with each other in order for those people then to restore their relationship with God, in order for them to restore their relationship with others. So they restore the relationship with God. You getting a point? On and on and on. That's the core of Christianity. The second thing I want to talk about really quickly, and that is the issue of slavery. Uh, it's a kind of a big deal today. If you're paying attention to politics, slavery is kind of a big deal. And in America, Europe and America, we have kind of a very um, narrow view of slavery. And so people then put uh, American slavery, what they would call modern slavery, into the Bible. And so I just want to talk really quickly, if I can, about slavery, but I'm going to encourage you to do your own research on this because I can't, um, again, it would be too long for me to go into all of this. First is this. Slavery has been something in existence ever since Adam and Eve sinned. Okay? Every culture, every nation, every group of people has, have experienced some sort of slavery going on. One group of people holding captive and making work another group of people. That has been going on for centuries. Uh, even in America, Indian tribes taking other Indian tribes. Uh, we hear a lot that they're very peaceful. Uh, they were taking each other captive in battle and making them slaves. Slavery has been around since Adam and Eve sinned. In the Bibles, there's different forms of slavery discussed. There's the military type where they defeat somebody, somebody becomes, then they become their slave. It talks about, uh, you know, there's children who are born into slavery. Uh, there's people who have done it voluntarily. So uh, they might have owed a debt, uh, or they just can't take care of their family. And they're like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go work for this guy. My family will come with me, and they'll take care of me. And, and slaves in the first century specifically, especially Jesus' time and afterwards, they didn't want slaves doing an uprising, and so they began to treat their slaves really well, and they became very, a lot of them became very educated, became the doctors who took care of the family, taught the kids, that kind of thing. So there's a bunch of different things that are talked about. There's also indentured servanthood. So a person um, works for seven years, ten years, and then when they're done, it's kind of a contract, they'll get a plot of land that becomes their own. You know, so that's the kind of thing going on. But just because the Bible mentions slavery doesn't mean it condones slavery. And here's kind of the two big points I want to make concerning that. Number one, Jesus didn't come to earth to end slavery or to change really any kind of cultural um, 
misconduct or, or issue, and certainly didn't do it in a political manner. He didn't come to free people, in other words, from physical slavery. He came for something far greater than that, and that is to free people from spiritual slavery. So I get slavery is a bad thing, and, and we shouldn't be doing it, but 67 years of slavery compared to an eternity in heaven or hell, perspective-wise. So Jesus came to address a far greater situation, and that is spiritual slavery to sin and freeing people. And the slavery that we think of most often, 18th, 19th century type of situation, it was only when Christianity teamed up with democracy, in other words, um, people being able to vote other people into power, it was only when those two things teamed up that people began to say, well, I'm going to vote for somebody who believes the way I believe on slavery, put them into office, and pretty soon enough people were in the government and we abolished slavery. And so Christianity is all about freeing people. It's all about we're creating the image of God. Um, it's all about you know, men are equal. And it's interesting because this is the one thing that Paul is going to ask Philemon to do concerning Onesimus, and that is to free him now that he's been freed spiritually. So that's a little bit of background. Let me move into the, um, the message itself and into the Word. I think we all agree, logically, that uh, we need to forgive. <laughs> but when push comes to shove, and we're in it, and somebody has hurt us, it becomes very difficult, right? Anybody else agree with me on that one? Nobody. Okay, so I'm the only one that has a hard time forgiving. Um, no, we, we get that. So why was Paul so confident that Philemon would be able to forgive? Because we're, we're going to read it, and if you read it this week, you would have seen that Paul seems pretty confident that Philemon's going to forgive Onesimus. So what was it about, Ones or about Philemon? What was his superpower, if you want to call that, to be able to forgive something that was a pretty uh, bad thing that Onesimus did. So let me go ahead and read it. Uh, again, 25 verses. I'll try to move through it rather quickly. Time is of the essence here. I know that there's roasts in the oven and all that kind of good stuff. So Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus. I mean, tell me, these are great names when, when you're thinking kids. Uh, it's too late for us, so we're thinking grandkids. Um, here, Archie, here, boy. Anyways, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and, and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. By, or, Onesimus is one of all the saints now. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you for Christ's sake. For I've come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. That verse right there, we could do a message on that. So cool. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you, he's an apostle, he's got that power to order Philemon to do something, um, order you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake... I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, the fact that he's under house arrest. I appeal to you from, for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. Now again, he's talking about the spiritual birth of Onesimus. All right? didn't, 
Paul didn't, you know, have a child named Onesimus. Who formerly was useless to you, Onesimus, by the way, means useful, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person. That is, sending my very heart. I mean, Paul just, you know, Paul's just this kind of guy anyways. He just loves this guy. This guy has been awesome to him. Has helped him so much in the spreading of the gospel. Sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf, Philemon, he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. For perhaps, perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he has wronged you in any way, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. In other words, I'm putting this down in the letter so you know that's me doing this. I will repay it. Not to mention, by the way, that you owe to me even your own self as well. In other words, Paul's like, just want to let you know. Remember, I'm the one who led you to Christ. <laughs> it's just kind of an interesting you know, thing he puts out there. Anyways, yes, brother, let me, be, uh, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. At the same time also, prepare a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. A little accountability. Uh, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greet you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All right, we're going to look at three things here that Paul talks about. Again, we could go into, we could spend weeks in this. We're going to look at three basic things um, that was true of Philemon that gave Paul confidence that he was going to forgive and restore the relationship. And it's three things. One, it's love Jesus. Again, this is not, you know, this is not rocket science. Okay, you guys? So I don't, I'm not a very brainiac guy. I'm kind of a rubber meets the road. Let's make it simple. Here we go. Love Jesus. Know Jesus, share Jesus. If we're going to be motivated to make the way, make the pathway open for people to come and restore the relationship, we need to love Jesus, know Jesus, and share Jesus. That's what our focus needs to be. That's what our motivation needs to be. And so we see in verses 4 and 5, it says this, I think my God always makes a mention of you, in my prayers, because I hear of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus. And of course, that then flows to the other people in the church. This idea of biblical love is crucial for us to get a hold of. Biblical love, as I've said often, is looking out for the best of somebody else, no matter what it might cost us. It's not always costing me a hug on somebody. Sometimes it's me sitting down with somebody and saying, hey, listen, I see some things going on in your life, and I, I'm, I'm really concerned about those things, and it might cost me a relationship with somebody. Okay, So it's costly. Biblical love is a commitment that we make. It's not an emotion. It's a commitment to do what's best for the other, other person. Jesus said that love equals obedience, and vice versa. Obedience equals love. He said this in John 14, and, uh, 15 and 21, so I kind of jumped a little bit, but if you love me, so Jesus is talking here. So put, your, put yourself in here. If you love me, Harold, you will keep my commandments. 
He who has my commandments, Harold, and keeps them is the one who loves me. So Jesus is saying, if you love somebody, and if you love Jesus, Christian, then you're going to obey Jesus. All right? And he's saying that we need to forgive. And so loving is going to cost me doing life my way. He talks about love and faith. I'm saying I love Jesus. I'm going to look out for his best by doing life his way. It's going to cost me doing life my way. It's going to take me faith in him. Faith thinking, believing that his way is better than my way. And again, when we look at what God calls us to do, oftentimes it's, it's completely counterintuitive the way we want to respond as humans. Or what our friends are telling us to do. Maybe even other Christians are telling us to do. It's almost completely opposite. So what does Jesus say about forgiveness? And again, we talked about this a little bit last week, but in Matthew 18, you might have remembered this from a series that we did, a family series that we did. Peter's talking to him, and Peter says, Hey, um, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? How many times should my brother do something to me, and I leave the path open for restoration? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times. I'm saying up to 77 times. In other words, or 70 times seven, however your translation says it. In other words, on and on and on. We live a life that has a heart that says, I'm going to leave the pathway open. I'm not going to hold a grudge against somebody who has hurt me. And one more point on this. I was just thinking about this week. This is how Jesus, by the way, lived um, when he was on earth. Look what he says here in John 14. Jesus speaking again. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. In other words, he's not a part of me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, Jesus is speaking here, God the Son, that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. See, Jesus, when he was on earth, wasn't just living a perfect life and, and then dying on the cross for us. He did that. That's important. But he was also giving us the example of how we should be living. And again, we can go into the whole theological side of that. We, we won't do that maybe some other time. But Jesus is saying, this is how you're supposed to live, in complete obedience to God. Anybody know what happened shortly after him making this statement? Come on, Bible scholars. He went to the cross. This is John 14. He had some final teaching to give his disciples. After saying this, he went to the cross. Not my will, remember him praying? Not my will, but your will be done. And he went to the cross. Why? Because he wanted to provide a pathway for us to have our sins forgiven, have a relationship with God restored. Jesus did that for us. And he's asking us to do the same thing. Well, Paul knew that uh, the love and faith that Philemon had been showing, was he's going to have to turn it up a little bit for this one. This obviously was a little bit more than the love and faith he had been demonstrating to the people at uh, uh, Colossae. And so he says, hey, listen, I'm going to let you know, I'm praying for you. Okay, so I, I appreciate, and, uh, and you're encouraging me with how you love, but I'm, I'm going to pray for you about something because this is going to be a little bit more a little bit over and above what you're normally doing. 
And so he says, I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the knowledge of every good thing which is in you in Christ, for Christ's sake. So he's, he's praying for Paul, and this is kind of a clunky verse. But what he's praying for is that, is that uh, Philemon would continue to grow. You notice how he didn't say, uh, God, I just want to pray for Philemon right now that you would um, you know, go ahead and just encourage him to forgive Onesimus. Yeah, that's how we usually pray, right? Paul says this really clunky English verse, which was very nice in the Greek. But he's praying that Philemon would grow to a point spiritually that the outflow of forgiveness would just simply happen for Onesimus. So he's not saying, God, make him forgive. He's saying, no, you help him understand that for him to be even a greater, more committed follower of Jesus Christ, that that would just desire in his heart that then he would just act like Jesus Christ in his relationship with Onesimus. I want to quickly run through this for you because I think it's important. You can go to the next slide. Um, kind, of, kind of clunky um, in the English. In the, in the Greek, it's wonderful. You can go read it if you like. Um, but the word fellowship, it's not a potluck, okay? Um, we talk about, hey, this is a great fellowship today. And, and that's fellowship. But biblical fellowship is really talking about this idea of, of uh, belonging, of um, having common experiences, of, a, of a, um, a knowing somebody really well because of what you've gone through. And so it's like if you've gone on a mission trip and you go, through, you know, it's hot and sweaty and people are doing all kinds of work and I could tell you stories about mission trips that I've been on and it's hot and sweaty and people are kind of getting at each other and then you kind of all work it out and there's a bunch of loving and hugging at the end, you know. And then they come back and like, whoa, that was awesome, man. We are so close, you know. And it's this huge spiritual high. That's fellowship. Working together. Experiencing life together. Doing, what we're doing here at Grace Point by asking God to use us to build a church, the tough times that we experience and the frustrations that we might experience and wondering, hey, is so-and-so going to be here this morning to serve or not? We don't know. You know, all that kind of stuff that goes on. That's all part of fellowship. And so Paul is praying that Philemon, through this experience of having to forgive Onesimus of a huge sin against him, that he would grow in his fellowship with Jesus Christ, his, his knowing him, which is... The other thing he talks about, but the, the word effective just means energy, that it would happen, that this fellowship would occur. And then knowledge is knowing something through personal experience. It's very closely associated with uh, fellowship. But in other words, again, Paul's point is that Philemon would experience more depth of relationship or sense of belonging to Jesus by personally experiencing what it means to forgive a large debt just as Jesus has forgiven Philemon's large, eternal debt of sin. And so he's asking God to, to make that happen in Philemon's heart. Because again, that's a huge desire, that's a huge thing that God calls us to do. You remember on our last series in Romans 8, talked about the fact that God, is, his, his purpose when he's called us to Christ is to make us look more like Christ. And what greater way to look like Jesus is than to give forgiveness to somebody, to keep, again, the pathway open, not necessarily trusting them, not condoning what they've done, but making the pathway available to them 
to repent of what they've done, and to restore the relationship. There's no greater way to be like Jesus than to offer the forgiveness that he made possible for us. And the last one is this. And as Paul always does, he brings it back to the gospel. If we miss this point, you guys, we miss everything. Everything about our lives now, once we put our faith in Christ, is all about the gospel. It's all about showing people who don't know Christ a love and forgiveness so they would turn to Christ. And how we treat each other is a big part of that, Jesus tells us. But, um, so the last one, verses 12 through 14. So this, I've sent them back to you in person, that is sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. Again, so Paul's in prison, and he can't get out and share Christ with people. If you read Philippians, it's pretty cool, because every Roman guard who's chained to him 24-7, here's the gospel. And then the gospel gets back into Caesar's household. You know, it's pretty cool. So Paul doesn't stop sharing Christ. He just doesn't have an audience except for one. So he's saying, hey, Onesimus has been helping me with this. He's been getting out, sharing the gospel with people, and it's huge. And, and, I, and I want him to do that, and he's kind of doing it on your behalf because you can't do it because you're you know, doing your job and doing that kind of stuff. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion but of your own free will. Paul wants uh, Philemon to be moved by God to make this happen. Okay? And the third thing here is to share Jesus. See, Paul took seriously Jesus' command to go make disciples. And he saw every situation as an opportunity for that to happen. And here's another opportunity for them to demonstrate what salvation looks like to the church, to Philemon's business partners. Uh, They're going to be able to see what happens when a Christian chooses to forgive somebody else, especially somebody who has hurt, in a sense, Philemon the way he has. And this has been a characteristic of the Colossian church. You can turn there. I'm not going to read it this morning, but chapter 1, Paul talks about the fact that they are they are sharing the gospel with people left and right. And again, Paul wasn't in Colossians or Colossae doing that. The Christians in Colossae were doing that. So we all have a call to share the gospel with people. So Paul wanted to keep Onesimus, and he wants him to be part of this gospel spread, to get it out. And so he says, I want you to forgive him. And Paul is really saying, I want you to free him. I want you to take and just free him so he can do what God wants him to do as it pertains to the gospel. All right, so as we do every week, what's the takeaway? Well, first is this. We, we need to, overall, we need to look past the person to Jesus. Anytime somebody hurts us, we need to look past that person and we need to look at Jesus and what Jesus calls us to do and put our trust and our faith in Jesus that what he says to do is the way we're supposed to respond. In spite of how we feel, in spite of everything that our, our minds are telling us, how crazy it is that we're doing this, what other people may be telling us, and then we need to choose, number one, to love Jesus. We need to forgive believing that it's the best thing for you, for me. Jesus will never do anything to hurt us and everything to grow us. When he calls us to forgive, he's done it. All right, so he's, he knows what it takes. 
But when he calls us to forgive, he's not doing that to hurt us. That's for our good. Again, Romans 8. It's so that we become more like Jesus, more like him, understand better. So we're to love him, and and we're supposed to trust him that we need to do that and trust that he's good. Secondly, to know Jesus. So we forgive so that we truly know Jesus. Unless you, as the old saying goes, if you want to know somebody, walk in their sandals or something like that, right? Um, In other words, live their life. You want to know what Jesus, who Jesus is and how loving he is and how much he cares for you, then do life the way he did it because in that you're going to feel and experience him empowering you to do it. You're going to better appreciate what he did for you, how hard it must have been in one sense for him to do it. And you're going to know and appreciate and and grow in that um, fellowship with him like you've never experienced before and like he desires for us. And lastly, to share Jesus. So we forgive in order to share with others who Jesus Christ is. This is Jesus Christ. This is the God that I worship. He's a forgiving God. And so whether we're forgiving a Christian or whether we're forgiving a non-Christian, when they go, wow, how do, you, how do you do that? How do you forgive? You know, our tendency is to kind of, well, you know, you know, you kind of, well, you know just trying, you know, trying to be a good person. And, you know, we, we kind of give the head bob, you know. No, we need to say, listen, I've been forgiven so much by Jesus Christ. And, and he says to me, since now I have a relationship with him, hey, you need to do the same. And let me tell you about this God who's forgiven me who's restored my relationship with him. It's an opportunity for us to share Christ, whether it's the person who sinned against us or other people who are watching us interact with that person. Here's my final, final point. See what I do with the word point? Put an E on that. <laughs> okay, if you don't know, grace point has an E. On it. Some of you guys are like, I don't get it here. Grace point has an E on it. Hey. Final point. Spiritual maturity is not demonstrated by how much you know the Bible, but how much you show Jesus Christ. We got this wrong often in church, where we think, well, I know a lot about the Bible, Pastor. I can tell you about the, let me tell you about the Bible. Great, I'd like to see it. Because that's what God's holding me to. Am I responding the way Jesus told me to respond? Am I loving my neighbors? Am I forgiving people who have wronged me? Am I opening and keeping the path open for them to come and restore the relationship? Am I telling them about who Jesus Christ is? Spiritual maturity is more about showing Jesus than knowing the Bible. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to really um, kind of fly through this um, these, these verses, and um, Lord, I just pray that you would, um, in each of our hearts, in, in your good and gracious way, the way you are, the, the way you deal with us, and help us understand, okay, where is it in my life where I need to be correcting this? Where do I need to look to you and say, okay, help me to forgive. Help me to, to love you and to desire to know you through this. Um, And then help me to be able to share you through this one way or another and and take whatever the cost is even 
in order to see if a person doesn't know the Lord, to, to be able to see them come to Christ and have their eternity changed. And if they are a Christian, that they would, um, that they would grow in their relationship with Christ in a more deep, deeper way. So Lord, again, thank you for this morning, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you together as a church family. As we go out of here, Lord, I pray that, that we would uh, represent you well, that we would uh, share you with those that we come in contact with. And we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Just one last thing. Um, Thursday nights, we're kind of adjusting things a little bit. So Thursday night Bible study, 7 o'clock here, uh, 6.30 for the young adults. Uh, we're going to actually be taking the, the sermon, and uh, I'll do a little summary of it, and then I'm going, we'll do some discussion with it. So we're going to take it and be able to break it down a little bit more and see how